1: Welcome to the first episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for joining us for what is the uh, inaugural episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm very happy to have as a guest on this inaugural episode, Stanley Weotter. If you have been any type of serious fan of horror fiction or horror movies in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, then you most likely have heard the name Stanley Wiotter. He has written many nonfiction books about the horror field, but both horror fiction, horror movies, also uh, the book called Comic Book Rebels. Why don't we just jump into it? How's it going, Stanley? It's going fine, Jeff. Thanks for giving me the call. Good, good. So, probably if someone has heard of Stanley Otter, they've probably heard of what some people consider maybe the kind of seminal book of, of interviews with four writers, which is called Dark Dreamers. That was later turned into a TV series, correct? Right. Also, it became a book of photographs along the way. Uh, well, what Dark was the Dreamers. book of photographs? The book of photographs was called Dark
2: Dreamers Facing the Masses of Fear. And that's where we uh my photographer, collaborator and I went around and spent about five years going to different conventions and conferences and photographing the top horror people in the in, in the business, whether it was artist, author, actor, filmmaker. But uh, we we have about a hundred people in that book and that book pretty much inspired uh me
1: to go see if I could get a television serial out of it, which ultimately I did. How did the television show come about exactly? Obviously, you know, as we know, you know, there were a series of interviews, both in magazines and the book that we mentioned earlier, Dark Dreamers, and then also Dark Visions, conversations with the masters of horror film. How did you go from there to doing a TV series, if if you could kind of explain that progression?
2: Certainly. It came about simply by being a member of the Horror Writers Association and uh, basically a Canadian documentarian producer wanted to make a feature-length documentary about horror and pop culture. And he had read my books, and he was a member of the Horror Writers Association. So he looked me up through them, and we got to talking, and he asked me if I'd be interested in conducting interviews for his feature-length documentary. And I said, well, that's a great idea, but I said, I think I've got one, one idea better. And I said, well, why don't we do a weekly television show a half hour in length and then eventually we could take whatever we wanted used or unused from that TV series and put it into a feature length documentary. So, uh, that's, that's how Dark Dreamer started back in, uh, year 2000.
1: Where did it air? Was it Canada? It was
2: in Canada. It was produced by a Canadian company up in Toronto and aired nationwide in Canada and then five years later aired in of Great Britain and uh, Ireland, Scotland, uh, basically, was a satellite uh, feed to uh, all of Great Britain. And the odd thing, of course, was that people say, "Why well, wasn't shown in America?" And I say, "It's not for lack of trying. Uh, the company did, did its utmost to sell the series, Dark Dreamers, in America. And at that point, there was really nothing, uh, you know, feasibly close to a uh, horror channel or the Chiller Channel or uh, stealth TV, uh, and so we basically couldn't find a home for it. Now I'm happy to say that after, after several years of being dormant, it's going to be released in January of 2009 as a uh, deluxe set DVD.
1: And where will those DVDs be available? Uh, everywhere. Uh, it, it's,
2: uh, being hooked up with a, the largest realtor of DVD, or I should say distributor of DVDs. So it'll be available online. And also, you know, I would assume that your target and and uh, Walmart
1: sure. and probably online as well as usual, yes,
2: definitely online at the amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com
1: So we know about your, your books, interviews with horror writers, Dark Dreamers, and then also Dark Visions, conversations with the masters of the horror film, and then also, as you just explained, the, the Dark Dreamers DVD, which will be coming up in January 2009. I wonder if we could go back a minute and um, talk about kind of how you initially got interested in, in horror and if there were any kind of... I'm just wondering kind of what your, your earliest memory or, or any formative experiences that hooked you and solidified your interest in in horror?
2: Certainly. Uh, It basically began with comic books. I think that's not unusual. Uh, Back in the late 50s, people may find it hard to believe, but there was only three channels on most televisions, and televisions were black and white, and you got one channel for ABC, one for NBC, and one for CBS, and this is even before CBS, never mind the cable. But what I'm bringing that up for is to say that there wasn't like people are now uh, watching television or watching uh, some kind of computer to get their enjoyment. You basically had literature, books, or you had what I consider a prelude to literature, comic books. So I was like most kids my age. Uh, you know, comic books were ten cents or twelve cents at the time, and for whatever reasons, uh, I was trying to cheat, I guess, on reading the the, the classics such as Journey to the Sand of the Earth and, um, you know, War of the Worlds, that type of thing, which eventually at the ripe old age of, I think, 11 or 12, I actually read the books. But this all goes back to the same, well, what did I read before the books? I actually read the comic book adaptation of the classics. So I was reading books published by a company called Classics Illustrated. And uh, for them, I was reading War of the Worlds, Journey to the Sand of the Earth, and Frankenstein was one of the ones that I that I purchased for 12 cents. Now from there I progressed a little bit further to to going to to the magazine shops and saying well maybe there's some scary books because these scary comic books are excellent. They gave me a thrill, and there I found a copy of Dracula. Uh, I think it sold for 50 or 60 cents, the Dell paperback. I grabbed it, went home, you know, probably sat down to read it. And my mother had a fit and thought it was the worst thing she could, you know, catch me reading as a horror novel. <laughs> she promptly destroyed it and I waited to, to strike. And the, by that, I mean, I waited till she was gone, uh, out for the day and I went into her, her purse and found the 50 cents that I needed and rode on my bike, uh, back to the, back to the magazine shop in Northampton, Mass and promptly bought another copy of Dracula. But this time I, I read it under the covers in the dark at night, which is probably the uh, probably the better experience for me that I did do it under that circumstance.
1: <laughs> and so you said that was in uh, Northampton. It was a magazine store.
2: Yes, it's no longer
1: there. It was called Oggy,
2: and uh, you could buy anything you want as long as you had the money. You could buy. I bought my my first uh, graphic novel there. Bought my first issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland there. Bought my first copy of Playboy there. I was kind of a regular, so they figured I was just some kind of a bookworm, so it didn't matter what I bought. As long as I had 35 cents or 50 cents to buy a book or a magazine, I was given really just uh, complete freedom to buy what I want versus the the town library in Hadley, the next next town over where I grew up. Uh, The librarians pretty much restricted you to what age level they thought was Appropriate for you to read a certain book, and this is why I meant it took a while before I got the books to read books like Journey to Defend the Earth and War of the Worlds because they thought at the ripe old age of 10, I just wasn't ready for these books.
1: Right, uh, right. And you went from Dracula to what were some of your, you know, your well, next books? Doing,
2: luckily in school, and this was the odd thing too about it growing up, this is in the 60s now, uh, there was a Galapagos uh, book club, so every month you could choose as many or as few books as you want, and they were sold, they were paperbacks, sold at a discount, so you could get the collected tales of that ground pole for like 30 cents, and you could get selected stories of uh, H.P. Lovecraft for like 50 cents, and it was a great, great deal for everyone involved because the school was sent these flyers, and for whatever reason, they always put in one or two mystery horror science fiction titles, so that's where (laughs) I really got into reading Horror, and it was in in a way condoned by the by the school system itself, because if it was included in the scholastic books. Uh, catalog. It, it must have been, you know, literature or something close to it.
1: <laughs> exactly. So that's that's how your interest in, in horror literature developed. But I also know that you are very much a horror movie fan and also, you know, very knowledgeable about, you know, horror movies and in, in the entire genre. I wondered um if you could talk about your Initial experiences watching horror movies. What were some that you you first saw? And I wonder if you watched some of those at a at a drive-in theater or what the movie theater was like. I'm I'm sure it wasn't a multiplex. No, not at all. It was
2: those single screen. Uh, there's, one of them's still there. The Calvin Theater in uh, Northampton is still there, though so they don't show films anymore. And the Academy of Music is still there. Though I don't believe they're showing movies anymore. But those were uh, I went with uh, with the two old sisters partially because it was the easiest thing for my parents to get rid of us on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, and they, they simply dropped us off. That's a movie was 50 cents, and uh, they could give us another 50 cents for, for candy and soda, and we were all set for the afternoon. But we would see double features, and every week it, we would just go to it no matter what. It could be a beach blanket movie. It could be a drama. It could be a comedy. Or what interested me most was that they started showing uh, the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, horror movies, which are penned by Richard Matheson. So those are a real treats. So I would say probably the first horror movie I saw in a the theater was House of Usher, which I believe came out in 1960. So that's at the tender age of seven, I was already being <laughs> traumatized by seeing, you know, the living dead or the people who are, you know, buried prematurely or people who are going to be, uh, Twice in two as they were in Hitting the Pendulum, which came out in 1961. So it was just part of like the idea of every weekend we had a, a tiny little two hour, three hour banquet to enjoy, but we would never know one week from another what it would be. But of course for me, uh, I was immediately enraptured by the horror films, mostly because my two older sisters were scared by them. And I said, aha, here's, here's the key to my power. I'm going to watch something and enjoy something that my two older sisters are afraid to see. So that was that was part of the, uh, it wasn't so much forbidden fruit, is that there was fruit sitting there that no one else wanted to touch. And I said, <laughs> I'll touch it. The, I'll eat it. Don't
1: worry about it. That's great. A drive-in? Did you go see um, movies that driving? We, we all a drive-in? to the
2: drive-in. My father was a movie bus, and we went, again, every Friday night. We would go to the drive-in theater, which was like less than three miles from my parents' home. And again, no matter what it was, a war movie or a comedy or, or horror movies, my parents didn't care. It was, it was their idea of, they had three children, uh, why, you know, just having the babysitter. We always had a station wagon and they would, they would put the three of us in the back, pack a picnic, uh, lunch for lack of a better term, and we would all go to the movies and, there was a time before I had my license where I was already hooked on horror films to the extent that I needed to have someone to drive me there, so I would pay my father to take me to the to the drive-in, so we could sit there and watch watch the drive-in horror movies by
1: ourselves. Uh, so I wonder if, if you're the only kid who ever paid your parents to take you to the movies.
2: <laughs> I don't know. It I worked for Barbarella, which which was a great tender memory of mine. That my father we went to the Calvin Theater to see Barbarella which was rated M for mature and that's certainly the last thing I was was M for mature but, but my father my father enjoyed it. It was ostensibly a science fiction film and I get to, you know, see Jane Fonda on the screen and all her and all her glory. So I think it was a win win situation back back in 68, 69, eight, sixty nine, I'm not sure, but around that time.
1: We'll be back with more of our interview with Stanley Lee Otter right after this. The Kindle Chronicles is a Friday audio podcast all about the Amazon Kindle e-reader. I'm Len Edgerly, and each week I present Kindle news, tech tips, an interview, a quote, and listener comments. I've been a writer all my life, and I'm doing this podcast because the Kindle has simply renewed my love of reading. I hope you'll stop by for a listen. You can find me at thekindlechronicles.com or by searching for Kindle in the podcast
0: area of the iTunes store.
1: Obviously, as, you, as you've explained, you you grew up in Western Massachusetts, which is, um, as I know, you know, pretty rural area. So you you grew up this kind of rural area of Massachusetts, becoming fascinated with both horror novels and horror literature short stories. As you mentioned earlier, Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, and and then, you know, developing a strong interest in horror movies and, and developing a, a knowledge of, of all of the actors. And as you mentioned earlier, is it Famous Monsters of Filmland? Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's that's what I thought. So I'm just curious, you know, as we talked about earlier, you, you ended up becoming – Kind of this preeminent journalist and scholar regarding horror literature and horror movies, and I wonder what was your journey like from this kid growing up in western Massachusetts and you know as i should should remind people who are listening to this podcast who who may not be you know who may be younger I mean this was you know well before there was a world wide web where you could find people of of you know your your similar interest. You know, I'm just wondering how you got from where you started and your interest in horror and becoming the person that you did. Well, it was
2: it was easy and difficult at the same time. You mentioned about this is pre the World Wide Web. There's, you know, back in the 60s, it was pre, pretty much pre everything in terms of getting your hands on knowledge about these subjects. I mean, there was no place that you could go to, to, to study comic books, uh, study horror films, study horror literature, I mean. There really wasn't the, the lexicon to say, well, what are you writing about? Well, I'm writing about the horror genre. And people would say, what's a horror genre? I mean, it really didn't exist pre stephen King. In, and that would take people way back to say, yes, there was actually writers and movies before Stephen King came on the scene. Uh, but for me, it was the fact that uh, I wanted to be a writer, and I, I did uh, eventually sell short stories to various anthologies, but the idea was was that I liked horror so much that I would track down on my own anything that was horror. And uh, as I was growing up through high school, I I, I was still going to drive, in this time on dates, of course, but I would pretend to be interested in my date. But what I was really interested in was seeing the new uh, Roger Corman film or the new uh, Hammer horror film, things of that nature. But when I got into college, eventually in 1971, I went to the University of Massachusetts, and I was able to get into a special program, which is basically where you made up your own major. If you couldn't really fit into a slot at the college, they would allow you, if you could prove yourself to a committee of three, that you had a, a, a better major than what the school had to offer, you got into it. And I suggested that I have a major of cinema and writing so that I would be, in a sense, studying the film genre. And, of course, if I'm studying the film genre, I, I'm going to study horror films. So in a way, my my education was predicated on me living out my fantasies, which was reading, writing, and studying horror films and horror literature. So that was the start of it. And then in the junior my junior year, I, I had a scholarship that I won. I was one of five people to go to Warner Brothers as an intern. So for the summer of 1974, I went out there and studied the the film industry. And for me, studying me meant interviewing as many people as I could, and the first person I interviewed when I got there was Ray Bradbury, my all-time hero. So I started my career with what I consider the master and just continued on from there.
1: That's a great way to start. Oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, he sees that when I was 12 years old and discovered his book, Orange for Rocket in the magazine shop, and I read, I found the Thunder*. I read the foghorn, both of them were dinosaur stories. I just said, oh my god, this is, this is the type of, this is the genre of writing before I even knew what a genre of writing was. Uh, this was the literature that I sit out forever, uh, be enamored of. And it's, it's still the case.
1: And given you know that you you started interviewing Ray Bradbury and you know as you've explained previously you know developing this kind of lifelong interest in in horror literature, I'm just curious if you you know have any personal favorites that you kind of go back to and and who who those would be. Well, it, you
2: know, it goes back to the masters, and again, this is not plotting Stephen King in any way, but basically people equate Howard with Stephen King and, and vice versa. And I, and I tell people there's so much more, and Stephen King will be the first to agree because he wrote an entire book called Saab Macabre, which is about every other horror writer and horror filmmaker on the planet besides Stephen King. So for me, it still goes back to H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard and Clark Ashton Smith. Yes. And these writers were best known for their work in a pulp magazine called Weird Tales back in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. So these people for me, like Edgar and Poe, were, were my favorite writers of my childhood. So I go back to them as favorites. And of course, Ray Bradbury, I still buy every book that he writes because he was the man who most inspired me to to go out and say, my God, there, there is something, you know, more than than uh, this, this one-horse town called Hadley, and uh, I don't have to live here forever if I can... Be successful as a writer, I'll be able to get out of this town and, and uh, explore explore my imagination without any boundaries.
1: Right. um, And and you did mention Stephen King, and I, I know from uh, following your career and, and, and reading your various interviews that you did interview Stephen King at a pretty early time in his kind of ascendancy. And I guess that would be – what what time was that, like late 70s or early yeah, 80s? That was the late
2: 70s. It would be like um, – I'd have to check. I'm pretty sure it would be like – seventy eight or seventy nine would would be the time of my first interview with him
1: and and do you remember when you first uh heard or read about him and or read his work and then I wondered if you could just talk about how that you know initial interview in in the late seventies came about
2: yeah i I'd heard about him and actually had read a, a couple of novels when I met him, I believed he had just published the Dead zone and i had I had already read uh Phelan's failing plot. And the stand basically because I had been it's been recommended to me by a, by a close friend. So if this person liked it, I said, well, I'll probably like it, and I did. I mean, anyone who's who's read King, uh, especially the earlier novels, uh, you know, that they move like you know like 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 lightning, and uh, they're incredibly entertaining, and frightening, and everything else that you would hope for in a horror novel. So when I met King, which was at a World Fantasy Convention. Uh, I had already read three of his books, and so when I sat down to to do an interview with him, I was already armed with that knowledge of not being some reporter, even though I was there as a reporter. I was there as someone who wanted to logically discuss the horror field with him, but at the same time, I'd already written the the first three novels he published. And I've done that throughout my career of of when I interview someone, I do my utmost to read everything they've written or a lot of what they've written and written if they've uh, done a lot of interviews. I try to read their interviews so that I can come there and and not only be a fan of their work, which I've never denied being that, but also be someone who can meet them on an intellectual basis and say, yes, I I, I know what I'm talking about, Mr. King, because I've read your first three
1: books. Gotcha. And and And, and
2: people appreciate
1: that. Gotcha. And, and where did that interview take place? You said the World Fantasy Convention. Where was that?
2: I believe that was in New Haven, Connecticut.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. It's either New Haven,
2: Connecticut or, Prov- or Providence, Rhode Island. Trust me, it's, it's been held in both, in both cities. Sure, sure.
1: And, and I'm wondering, I mean, talking about the various interviews that you've done over the years, was there any authors or filmmakers that you would have liked to interview for Dark Dreamers, your television show, that you didn't have a chance to?
2: Yes, it was quite a it's quite a long list that I'm hoping to take the show uh, back into production at some point next year. But some of the people who said yes that we didn't get to include Ray Bradbury, um, R. L. Stein, uh, Rick Baker, John Carpenter, Robert England, who played Freddy in the in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So you know, Dean Coons, all these folks have been kind enough to say yes, and just for various reasons of time and circumstance, uh, they weren't included in the first two seasons. We have uh, some material that's unedited, uh, like with Stuart Gordon and with Mick Garris, that uh, I hope to put out uh, next year as well as part of that uh, Chapter 2 or Volume 2 of, of Dark Dreamers.
1: And so you you mentioned, obviously, the DVD pending release in January of of 2009, and you also just mentioned that you you would like to try to get it back into production. Is that what you're going to try to work on doing?
2: Yes. I mean, it's simple as this. If if the DVD is successful, and and the company, uh, which is the largest distributor of DVDs in the company, is is 100% behind it, uh, we feel that it's going to get good sales and, and good reviews, then... Uh, go back, need to go back on the road. You, you can imagine this is you know, as, as inexpensive a trip as you can imagine because you only need yourself and a sound man and a cameraman to go to the person's home and do the interview. And that's the key thing with dark dreamers is that we go to the person's home or their office uh, so that they're in their comfort zone and uh, they feel most comfortable, I think, with uh, revealing, you know, their innermost fears and desires and uh, talent that they have to present with.
1: Right. If I'm not mistaken, unfortunately, some of the people that you have interviewed for Dark Dreamers have, have subsequently passed away or died. You know, unfortunately, such as Richard Lehman and also I think the makeup artist, I'm trying to remember Dan him. Winston.
2: Right. Dan Winston, yeah. He died in his late 50s. Uh, I believe it was a heart attack. And, um, Richard Lehman died of a heart attack. And Joseph Stefano, best known for creating uh, the Outer Limits, he died a few years ago as well. Right. So right. yeah, and in, in a in a strange way, I'm hoping this this show, Dark Dreamers, will be a memorial to these to these three gentlemen because uh, Richard Layman, that was his first and only television interview. Dan Winston, uh, I like to think we discussed things with him that he discussed with no one else. And uh, Joseph Stefano, I believe that was his only. Uh, He's interview, for lack of a better phrase.
1: Sure. So if people are listening and, and, you know, um, are fans of Richard Lehman or Stan Winston or Joe Stefano, you may want to keep that in mind. Again, the the Dark Dreamers DVD set will be uh, available in in January of 2009, and you should definitely check those out. I I wonder, too, Stanley, uh, I know you co-authored The Brian Lumley Companion, The Richard Matheson Companion, and The Stephen King Universe, which were all kind of compendium volumes about the uh, respective authors and their work. I wonder if you have any other, you know, companion volumes in the works at this point.
2: Not at this point. There's, there's always a chance I would do something on Harlan Ellison. Uh, I'm a major fan of him and his work. Um, but th- th- I keep hearing stories that from various writers that there are, or is, uh, you know, uh, Harlan Ellison type companion in the works. So uh, considering how prolific he's been, and he's done a couple thousand uh, publications in his career. I'm a huge fan of him and his work, but I keep hearing rumors that other writers are working on just such a companion. So I'm, I'm quite happy to let them tackle the, uh, climbing that mountain.
1: I wonder, as we you know reach the end of this interview, if you could you know let us know what you're working on now, and kind of what's on the horizon for you.
2: Okay, thank you. Uh, right now, I'm doing original screenplays, which I've been doing throughout my career. But it appears that uh, my first. Produced screenplay will be made this winter or early next year called Whiteout. And that's a, a story of a family trapped in a cabin and they're visited by uh, aliens from a crash UFO. So it's uh, what I call straw dogs meet aliens. So I'm hoping that, that will go into production. And if it does, I've already been told that I'd be welcome on the set and to come up and, and, uh, register my opinion, yay or nay, as, as the production goes into into full force so that's that's the, the larger appeal the other book that's coming out uh also in january is called uh, the twilight zone i'm sorry the twilight and other zones the dark worlds of richard matheson and that's uh the new revised version of the richard matheson companion that came out this past april this is the trade paperback edition that'll, that'll be coming out in january
1: that'll so be coming if, uh, out in january That's also coming out in January from Citadel Press. Citadel Press? Great. Thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to us for this inaugural episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. And again, we've been speaking with Stanley Wiotter, the noted horror scholar and, and journalist who's been chronicling the horror genre in, in print and in film for uh, many years now. And check out his Dark Dreamers DVD set, which will be available in January '09. Thanks, Stanley. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for joining us for the first episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our feed in iTunes and stay tuned for more interviews with writers that you enjoy reading. And until next time, keep reading.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.